The Daily Rios for Wednesday, April 10th, 2013. It is New Comics Wednesday today, and it is also six months to the date of the release of the first Marvel Now books, which were Red She-Hulk 58 and Uncanny Avengers number one. So, <clears throat> while this uh, storm rages outside, I'm going to go through the New Comics Wednesday list. It's very short. There were, I don't know. I just couldn't really find something that I wanted to, you know, share. Um, the, but, uh, you know, there's a few things here and there. And then I'm going to go and start my Marvel Now report card based on the last six months of titles and issues. And as I was reading this past week and writing some notes, I was realizing that there are a lot of Marvel Now titles that I want to talk about. So I thought I would get this all in in one episode, but I'm going to have to do this over a course of a a couple of episodes. So so let's start. Let's start at New Comics Wednesday. Uh, Just a few things here. Uh, From Dark Horse, Mind Management, Hardcover Volume 1 by Matt Kint. It collects the first six issues. If you don't know what it's about, uh, the, the blurb is reporting on a commercial flight where everyone aboard lost their memories, a young journalist stumbles onto a much bigger story, the top-secret mind management program. Her ensuing journey involves weaponized psychics, hypnotic advertising, talking dolphins, and seemingly immortal pursuers as she attempts to find the flight's missing passenger, the man who was mind management's greatest success and its most devastating failure. But in a world where people can rewrite reality itself, can she trust anything she sees? If you know of Matt Kint's work, uh, only from maybe like the New 52 DC stuff, this is a really good showcase of his talents and what he likes to do with comics and what he likes to do with the medium and how he likes to change things up and how he uses the page and uses the cover and uses um, just all kinds of stuff. So it's it's really creative. Uh, check it out. Mind Management Hardcover. From DC, uh, two of the gatefold covers this week, Batman and Robin 19, Green Lantern Corps 19, have some interesting surprises, if you haven't read about them online. Um, I knew about the Batman and Robin one from some online stuff, but I did not know about the Green Lantern Corps one, so that was kind of cool. From Image, we have Joe Casey's Sex number 2, the next issue of that title, and we have Saga 12. And oh, what fun it was watching people on both sides of that craziness yesterday. And uh, how they were all, all proven wrong by today's revelations. Uh, I just thought it was very interesting. I didn't jump into the fray at all, but it was really interesting to see people on both sides um, speak with such authority. And yet, like I said, everybody was proven wrong. All right, um... From IDW, we have Will Eisner's The Spirit Artist Edition hardcover. So if you're a fan of looking at original work, artwork, and process, uh, you can pick that up. That's in the long line of other artists' editions, such as, uh, what, The Rocketeer and Daredevil Born Again and uh, Gru. Uh, I think there was a John Byrne one. Uh, From Marvel Now, uh, we have Avengers number 9. We have Avengers Arena number 7, Fantastic Four number 6, Fearless Defenders 3, Secret Avengers 3, Thor 7, Uncanny Avengers 6, 
Uncanny X-Men 4, and Wolverine 2. I'll probably no longer list all of the Marvel Now stuff, and I'll go back to just picking and choosing when I see something that's interesting, whether it's a collection or a new number one, etc. All right, when I return, we start the Marvel Now report card. Hi, I'm Jason Martin, president of Action Lab Entertainment's new, creator-owned, mature readers comics imprint, Danger Zone. Danger Zone is a brand new line from Action Lab that features creator-owned, mature readers titles. That's mature readers as in simply comic books that are not all ages friendly, so with content comparable to what you'd see on cable television or R-rated movies. A whole new line of books showcasing boundary-pushing, genre-redefining material that ranges from comedy to horror to science fiction or whatever creators can dream up. Nuclear-armed, time-traveling terrorists destroying Las Vegas. Undying, rabid rodents of biblical proportions feasting on flesh. Tommy zombie virus contaminated cocaine-snorting 80s Native American drug-abusing college kids freaking out. Gender-swapping barbarians and computer programmers running wild. And undead Hollywood call girl grindhouse action. And that's pretty much it. Your pledges help us print and release the books, and then you can pick up unique and signed versions of them exclusively here, and also get the digital versions here before they're available anywhere else. Plus, we're offering a lot of original artwork and one-of-a-kind opportunities right here on Kickstarter only. Uh, so be sure and check out our full list of rewards for everything you have to choose from. We hope you support our new line of creator-owned books and all of the creators and titles that are part of Danger Zone. Stay alert. Anything goes in the Danger Zone. So the Marvel Now report card. What I'm doing here is I am reading all of the issues of each title from the past six months. And I'm not going to talk in depth about what is actually going into the comics. I'm just going to sort of speak generally about each title. Now, I may give some things away, you know, if that's if you're worried about that. But I'm just going to talk openly about what I felt about reading. Some of these are just reading, I'm reading the first story arcs, or I'm reading uh, the first year, or, that, or half of year. Uh, of titles, or I'm reading, you know, just some, I'm just trying to read whatever they put out in the past six months per each title. And then I'm giving it a grade, and then I'll talk about whether or not I am going to continue reading such title. So the first issue, first title on my Marvel Now report card is the very first title that came out, Red She-Hulk, uh, and it started at issue 58 and went on for a number of issues, four or five issues or so. Uh, I've read them all, and I have to admit, you know, when the first issue came out, it sort of left me cold. I felt that there wasn't enough proper information fairly given to the reader to want to bring them back. Then I read the second issue, and I gave a review at that time, and that alleviated some of those worries. But as it's gone on, I have to admit, I really got interested in what Jeff Parker was doing with this book especially when he started to muck around with uh, Jonathan Hickman and S.H.I.E.L.D. concepts. 
And suddenly there's this other story going on in this book, and it's not just about Red She-Hulk being on the run. And I like that. I, I really do like that. Jeff Parker was the writer behind Agents of Atlas, and I really enjoyed that title. Some of the charm of that short series is kind of playing out in this book, especially between the relationship uh, the relationship between Machine Man and Betty Ross as Red She-Hulk. There's some fun passages going on there. Um, Parker is good at playing around in the larger Marvel Universe. Um, he's acknowledging what's going on in Indestructible Hulk without having to read that title. Um, you know, obviously because Betty Ross is the ex-wife of Bruce Banner. We met, I assume, a new character called Mole Monster, which turned out to be the son of the Mole Man, which was kind of fun. Jen Walters... Uh, the original green She-Hulk is slowly making her way into the book. It's not fast enough for me, but she uh, should be making an an appearance. Well, she has been. She was part of a cliffhanger, and then she made an appearance in one of the other issues, but uh, she hasn't really got into the thick of things with Betty Ross, so I'm I'm looking forward to that, uh, to see how they play that out. Um, So I'm looking it up. I read seven issues of Red She-Hulk, issues 58 through 64. So that's one storyline, the first storyline, which is, uh, I think, called Hell Hath No Fury. And then the second storyline is just kicking off, which is uh, Route 616. Um, Other parts of the Marvel Universe that Jeff Parker brought about, uh, there was an obscure, a reference, uh, excuse me, an appearance by an obscure Alpha Alpha Flight member named Windshear, which was kind of fun. Um, Yeah, so... You know what? It's not new. It's not necessarily unique, but I enjoy the artwork, um, and I, I I'm kind of intrigued. It's uh, it's not a, a, a super super duper standout story or comic, but I'm enjoying it. And the art by um, what is it? Uh, Carlo Pagulian. Uh, I like I like I, I liked it more in the earlier issues than I did in the later issues, but. I might actually keep reading this, and I'm giving this book a C plus slash B minus for that reason. Um, I don't necessarily always enjoy um, the the main antagonist, uh, General Fortian. I think he's kind of boring in some places. Um, Jeff Parker, the way he handled Maria Hill in her few appearances, uh, it's okay. Uh, as I said, the artwork was great in the beginning. It's it's starting to not be so great uh, as it goes on. It's an average book that you read because it's a character that isn't getting an attention anywhere else. That's sort of how I think about it. But uh, I like it, and I will keep reading it. It's it's not high on my list, but I'm giving it a C plus, uh, B minus. All right, then we move to the other book that came out in that first week for Marvel Now, and that was Uncanny Avengers, which was set to be the flagship face of Marvel now, it's spinning out right out of the events of Avengers versus X-Men. It makes sense, right? It's mixing the two concepts. So you think that this would be the big book, you know, Rick Remender, John Cassidy. And I'm giving this book a very mediocre C, just a flat, plain old C. I was really underwhelmed by the first issue and the first story arc in general. I it for some reason just didn't feel grand enough. It didn't feel big enough with all the hype that they gave it, with where this book should be uh, in terms of the Marvel Universe. You know, it should be the 
the still point of, of the center of Marvel Universe, right? Everything should spin out of it, and I just don't feel like it is. Um, even when you take Xavier's brain and put it into the Red Skull, I just don't... Something, something about that, the stakes didn't feel high enough. Uh, it almost, in some ways, didn't even feel Marvel enough. It, it, it felt like that's more like DC's gig, you know, with the ultra-humanites stealing people's brains. Kind of felt a little, I don't know, Pulp Camp... Pope Campy, you know? I just did, I don't know. Something about it didn't jive with me. I think the artwork is truly unspectacular. Uh, you know, it's not what I would think of as, as like, high John Cassidy art, like when he was doing Planetary, um, or even Astonishing X-Men. Um, and then with issue five, he's no longer on the book, and issue five is Olivier Coipel, and with issue six... Daniel Acuna takes over, and both of those books are, both of the artwork of those two artists in issues five and six, it's just miles ahead of what one through four is doing. And I don't even think it's the best Olivier Coipel artwork in issue five, and yet it's still better than issues one through four. Um, I think it's getting, I think it's taking a while for Rick Remender to, to get his feet wet with this high concept. I'm sure there's a lot going on behind the scenes in terms of what Marvel wants to see out of this book. So there's probably, it's, it feels like it's almost like comics being created by committee. And even with the second story arc, you know, the first story arc is Red Skull and setting up the new team of uh, the Avengers Unity Division, as Captain America calls it. The second story feels a little bit more remender because it's taking its cue from his Uncanny X-Force stuff, and it's featuring the Apocalypse Twins, and it has Kang, which I feel is a real, true Avengers villain. Um, uh, and it feels like the concepts are, are very Rick Remender, as opposed to the first, uh, what, four issues that I just, I don't know, just something about it kind of felt very stop, stop and starty. Um... So overall, you know, I'm giving it a C because of the delays, because of the the artwork, because of because of the idea that this was supposed to be the flagship, um, and it's just not living up to that. In fact, you know, when you read one through four, and then you get to five, and you get this cliffhanger in five with Rogue, and you get to six, and it turns out to be this Thor story. Thor and Apocalypse story, and it's completely out of left field. Like, what? Where is it going? It's kind of almost like they're trying to jump into the second story arc because the first story arc just didn't win people over. Um, and this Thor issue feels more like a Jason Aaron story than anything else. So, yeah, I, I, you know, the second story arc has potential. It has bigger villains, and hopefully it'll be more about the Marvel Universe in a whole. Uh, so, yeah, there it is. Uncanny Avengers. For me, it's a C. I might keep giving it a look, but I'm not recommending it, you know, and I'm certainly not going to go out of my way to make sure I get every issue. Which leads us to Avengers Assemble. This is uh, with uh, writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, and this book, Avengers Assemble, is for, you know, if you're a retailer or if you have somebody who wants to read the Avengers because they like the movie, this is the book for them. Uh, and the artwork is by Stefano Caselli. And I like the artwork by Stefano Caselli. Again, I liked it in the earlier issues more than uh, more than I did the later issues. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do... I don't think this book double-shipped, not this one. So, uh, But you know, somewhere along the way, people just lose you know, their, their um, 
speed, I guess. I read one, two, three, four, five of these issues plus the annual. So issues nine through 13 plus the annual, which was a vision spotlight uh, by Christos Gage, writer Christos Gage. So uh, that it even didn't, really didn't even have anything to do with what was going on elsewhere. Uh, and the art was by Tom Coker. So, you know, this is clearly movie-inspired. It's meant to resonate with the movies, much in the way that it did when, when it started out under Bendis. Some of the fun of the first issue that Kelly Sue DeConnick came on to got lost in later issues. The stories are short. This is totally a side title to the main Avengers universe. This is uh, a place where the writers can write uh, stories that don't have to affect the larger Avengers corner of the universe. Um, sometimes it adds layers to a character. Sometimes it throws in some interesting backstory. But I really doubt any other writer will ever pick this up again, pick up those little nuggets. And I don't even mean in a continuity sense. I just mean in a plain old, not many people are going to remember the stuff that you're reading here. Um, and that's unfortunate, but you know that's the way of things when you when you're trying to build a brand and expand a title. Um, the two part Black Widow story was okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I like the idea that uh, well, they stole a line from the movies, right? I got red in my ledger. That was something that was in the movie, and Black Widow gives out these markers that when she was a KGB assassin and she felt like she was doing something wrong that even though she went through with the assassination, she would give maybe a loved one or somebody a marker and say, look, you know, I feel bad about this, and so if you ever need me, you can call this in, and blah, 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 blah. It was kind of interesting, but the art was very uneven. Um, this one I gave a C-. minus. I don't need to read any more of this. Um, it's okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would want to read it other than it kind of plays with the Marvel... Uh, cinematic universe a little bit, um, and uh, it's it's it, it's okay. It's just okay. So I gave it a C minus. All right, and then the last two that I'm going to talk about today, we have Captain America, which I am just really really digging. You know, everything I said about Rick Remender about Uncanny Avengers, and what he needs to bring to that title, he is certainly bringing it to Captain America. It is Cap out of his element. It's John Romita Jr. artwork exploding all over the place. It's Dean White coloring that is just gorgeous. Um, it's Captain America in another dimension called Dimension Z, and he's taking care of this young kid named Ian that is the son of uh, Captain America's uh, foe known, known as Arnim Zola. Um, it's all inspired by Jack Kirby, and it not only is it inspired by Jack Kirby in terms of the writing and the concepts, John Romita Jr. seems to be playing with all kinds of things. Jack Kirby, EC sci-fi, superhero comics, Will Eisner graphic novels. Um, the one character, the, the daughter of Arnim Zola, Jet Black, just screams Big Barda to me. Um, there's Kirby monsters. It, there's even a little bit as of a Lone Wolf and Cub and Dark Knight Returns thing going on, too, with Captain America and his son. Um, I'm enjoying it. I, I really am. I think it's it's what I find, what I'm torn on is how to read it. So you know, I I was reading the first couple issues issue by issue, but then I'm, for this episode, I sat down and read read it as all in one um, issues uh, one through six, I believe. So 
because of that, you know, you get the larger story and it, and it flows a little bit more. Um, but, uh, excuse me, it was one through five. But there's something about um, enjoying the, the, the pace and savoring the artwork issue to issue because it's so different and you're working in this other dimension and John Romita Jr. has to come up with alien designs and creature designs and tech designs and costume designs. But then there's all these flashbacks to young Steve Rogers during the Depression and all of a sudden it becomes like a Will Eisner story and then, you know, New York cityscapes and and the, the um, clothing that they wore back then, um, the very streetwise kind of feel. So, yeah, it's... It's good though. I really do enjoy it. And and issues one through five, that's the first half of the story, and then uh, six through ten, and we'll wrap it all up. Um, it's big. It's um, it's bombastic at times. Um, I'm not the biggest Captain America fan, but there's something very interesting about his dilemma that uh, brings out the character and what makes him what makes him Captain America. Um, Arnim Zola is kind of a fun. Uh, crazy villain. His design is so bizarre and wacky, but I love it. Uh, so I gave this an A minus. I'm not sure if it's going to appeal to everybody, but it does to me. And I'm looking forward to reading the next issues uh, and seeing where uh, where it can go. You know, it, it's it's very different from what came before. I know that um, from the Ed Brubaker stuff, but I think that's a good thing because it's about time. After all those years of political thriller espionage stuff um, that I've never read, but I always sort of shied away from. So now it's, you know, kind of like off the wall, crazy stuff. So I like it. I really do. I think it's inspired and it's exactly what comics should be. They should just be off the wall and fun and uh, uh, they're pulling out all the stops. Uh, and then finally, Indestructible Hulk, which garners an A-plus for me. Mark Wade, Lionel Francis Yu. I read six issues of this. The sixth issue is by Walt Simonson uh, on art. Um, this is the Marvel Universe. Mark Wade plays with all the toys of the Mar Marvel Universe. He's come up with a very creative uh, premise to the Hulk Bruce Banner um, interaction. It's smart. It's funny. It's got something to say. It's not sad Hulk. It's not on the run Hulk. It's fun Hulk. It's actually kind of fun and smart. And it's a it's a Hulk title where Bruce Banner is the lead, leaving the Hulk to be, uh, as I say in the book, a cannon, right? A weapon that, that they're using because um, Bruce Banner is now an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he says, you know, where, where the Hulk smashes, Bruce Banner wants to build. And I need to admit that uh, the Hulk is... It cannot be cured from me, and because he causes destruction, I want to use all my skills to build things, and, and I want the world to remember me because I'm a scientist, not because I'm the Hulk. Um, it's it's good. It's exactly, you know, it feels right. It feels good to have Bruce Banner in the lead and, and the Hulk uh, kind of a secondary character, if you will. Um, I think the artwork by Lionel Francis Yu is stunning. It's much better than what he did on Secret Invasion, to my eye. Um there's a great shot in issue five of the underwater base known as Lemuria, Lemuria, um, but it's actually a, a rebel base, and it's just beautiful. There's this whole um, two issues or so, or maybe it's one issue with, no, it's two issues, with uh, Atuma uh, trying to take over Atlantis, of course, and he's using the, the Lemuria 
um, Underwater City to do it. Uh, just good. Just good artwork. It's raw. The line work comes through. It doesn't get lost in the inking process. Uh, you know, you really can see the creativity in, in, in the layouts and, and the design of the book, and it seems to get better every issue. So I, I'm really digging it. And then, of course, issue six brings in Walt Simonson because it's a part Thor story, and it's Thor the way Simonson used to always draw him. Draw him. Um, uh, you know, Frost Giants and uh, Mjolnir. It's, it's fun. I, I wasn't sure what I was going to think of that Walt Simonson issue, and I actually really liked it. Uh, and then there's the ongoing thing between Bruce Banner and S.H.I.E.L.D. And he has uh, a group of scientists that are working with him and they all have secrets, but we don't know what they are yet. And that'll slowly come out. And, you know, what is he going to do with all his science stuff? And I love how they play with the Marvel Universe. You know, we've seen the, the Mad Thinker and we've seen, uh, like I said, Atuma and um, Iron Man has been in it. And, and, you know, it's just good. It's, Mar it's Mark Wade at his best, I think. So that one definitely gets an A+. All right, so there you go. Those are the five titles uh, in this first round, and I will have more on tomorrow's episode, and we'll see how long it takes me to do a six-month wrap-up for Marvel Now. If you've read any of this stuff, let me know what you think, and maybe let me know what you would grade these titles. These, this is sort of what I'm grading them. What would you grade them? All right, you can reach me at peter at thedailyrios.com or visit the website and leave a comment on the episode page. And if you would, leave me an iTunes review, and I will see you tomorrow.